You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast. I'm your host, John Gordon, and I've got a special guest with me today. It's uh, Dale Bordelon from uh, Louisiana, a.k.a. the Bayou Beast. Dale, welcome to the DU Podcast. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Dale, well, you've been I, you've been on several podcasts, you know, recently, uh, you know, talking about your love for, for waterfowl hunting and, and, and duck call making in general. Um, you know, a lot of folks, I'm sure you all have seen Dale on social media as he's really built a presence there, you know, showing Louisiana heritage and the old school ways of waterfowl hunting. And we we participated in a very special hunt yesterday at a very historic place in the waterfowling world, which is Beaver Dam Lake in Tunica, Mississippi. We used old school clothing, old school guns. It was an incredible hunt. You can see it all on DU Nation on YouTube coming up pretty soon. Dale... That hunt is always going to remain in my, in my mind, you know, for the rest of my life because of the people who were there, the in the atmosphere and the hunting itself. How does that rate among the the best hunts of your life? Well, I tell you, I'm 61 years old and I hunted since I was <clears throat> very young man. I've hunted a lot of places and with a lot of people, but a good duck hunt comes down 
to me, it, it's the people who you hunt with. Not so much the place makes a big difference, but a great bunch of guards makes a really good duck hunt. And yesterday, Mark and Lamar, boy, that, that's about the best people, hosts, and fond people you can get. And and yourself and Rams and, and the whole crew, it, it was such a good hunt and such a beautiful place. And the duck hunting was spectacular, man. I said, this duck hunt would probably, is going to be in the top five of my, and I've hunted some, besides, now, besides my kids, the duck hunt with my bars is the best, but what made it so good yesterday was these people, the place, it's such a historical place, the old guns we hunted with. That put yeah, the icing on the cake. It, it could put that, and you're talking about, you know, we had Mike and Lamar Boyd, Beaver Dam Hunting Services, that hosted us, I mean, those guys I've known for many years, and they're the salt-of-the-earth people, just some of the finest individuals you'll ever meet. We had uh, Ramsey Russell from GetDucks.com. Uh, Ramsey has hunted literally all over the world. Had his little dog, Char, out there, man. She was picking up birds uh, left and right. She was awesome. It was really special. Let, let's let's go back in time a little bit, Dale, and let's talk about a little bit of your background to begin with. Uh, I know you were raised up in small town, Louisiana, uh, you know, learned to hunt from your father and, and you know, started mail, building calls later on. Um, so just give us a little bit of, of a look inside of your past and, and how you started. I grew up in a little place called Hasma, Louisiana. It's a French, probably all French community, potato f- f- community. They had an old lake there. It's a lake called Lake, uh, lake Pearl. We never went a whole lot of places as a young man and I thought that was the only place in the world at the time, being a young man. And my daddy had a, a meal. We sell feed. We buy grain from farmers, but we sold feed to these uh, people who had chickens and hogs. And a lot of these people would come from that Lake Pearl, and there was old French people. This is a lake where nobody ran boats. It's, it's about a 3,000, 3,500-acre lake. Everybody owned a P-Rook to hunt in there. Most of the old hunters that I remember... They had one called their whole life. And I was always amazed when them old people would come and that old uh, folks or oats would stick out their pocket. And we'd get in a conversation. And I was a young man that stuck with me. And so I kind of incorporated their ways when I, as I grew up duck hunting. And I hunt kind of like with the, they used a lot of Model 12s and RS7s in those days. And I still hunt with those guns now. So I, I built my own pirogue, which is dugout pirogues out of a surface law. Right, right. And uh, I was fa- always fascinated about duck calls. And I've been building duck calls about probably over 30 years. And uh, I, I'm very fascinated about the cane call because that's my, my Louisiana heritage. And and it, it all started back in the, probably, it was in the 1850s when some guys from Illinois came to Louisiana. Louisiana used to be the but they called that the place the sportsmen to hunt. Everything was on the coast back then. And these guys bought some of these dark calls, which is like the metal reed calls and walnut calls. And these old French people never saw that. And uh, so they they didn't have no calls, but they had a bunch of bamboo that grew river cane. That's the only native cane to Louisiana. That was all over South Louisiana. So those old French people, they didn't have no electricity. They didn't have no drills. They didn't, you know, but that bamboo had a hole in it already. So they kind of, you know, mashed the big end with a little end, and they used some uh, cane for reed material. 
back then. And they used whatever they could find. It, it, there's no written book on how to make a cane call because they, they all had their only way of doing it. They, in, in the late 1800s, around 1900, they, they started using hard rubber reeds off a of cane call because it made a good call. And that went on through till about the 60s, till till, till that quit. But to, I grew up to seeing all this, and, and I'm just very old-fashioned, and, and I'm trying to keep something alive, that heritage. Uh, and so I'll build handmade cane calls, and I'll build it all by hand like they did. It, it just does something to me to do that. It's like I'm doing the old people justice. So yeah, I'm just trying to... Uh, my background is I grew up with these old people, and, and I didn't. I seen so much in in a small rural community, and I'm just trying to keep that going as I get older. Oh, that's fantastic! I, I think I remember you talking about you talking about they switched to hard rubber reeds that they used combs, right? And for those reeds, that how they made them? Ace combs. That's right. Ace combs came out probably in the 1870s, I think, in that ballpark. And so about 1890s, they started, man, that's a good material. They'd file it down with a, a file. They could, you know, it took a long time to make a read, but they wasn't selling duck calls. It was for them personal selves to try to kill ducks. They wasn't doing this for sport. So, and then word spread on the bayou, the name, and so everybody eventually made hard rubber read and calls. And so now, when, it, when you go back to 1930s, 1940s, Everybody had a hard rubber reed in a cane call, and then you know in South Louisiana, right? And you, on DU Nation as well, you know we had a had a great little segment with uh, Art Lejeune of, of Fox Man, and Fox Man has made a cane call forever. And you showed me the the bamboo patch out back where they where they get their right. cane call materials from, and that's fascinating, man. It's just the history of it. It just it runs so deep in Louisiana, you know, um, across the board with duck hunting. Uh, you know, we talk about old guns as well, and. We also did a little segment on DU Nation yesterday talking about the Winchester guns and how the Winchesters were such a huge part of early duck hunting um, uh, with, the, with the invention of the 1893 by John Browning, which became the 97 that, that you prefer. And then, you know, in 1912, the, the, the famous Winchester Model 12 comes out. And those, and those two pump guns right there probably accounted for more ducks on the table I would say than any other guns in history, especially up at that point. And probably if you just go back, you know, it's still been hard to beat them now. I mean, maybe the Browning Auto Five has, you know, has been part of that. The Remington Eight Seventy certainly has accounted for a lot of it. But those those early Winchester guns were were a huge part of it, and it was great to have those out in the blind yesterday. Absolutely, and my the gun I, sh- I shoot is made in nineteen fifteen, so that gun's a hundred and seven years old. And she don't ever miss a lick. That's right. And tell us the story, the fascinating story about that gun and the hunting license that was in it. This is a good story. And it was about 1983. A friend of mine got two 1897s from this place I'm talking about, Lake Pearl. And one was made in 1915. One was made in 1916. And in those guns, that was they, they took it apart to cling. There was an old hunting license in it. And... It was a hunt license from 1929, 1929-30 season. And uh, so I had made a copy of it. That was, what, 40 years ago almost? I made right, a cop- right. I made a copy of it then. But it was at, at a local bank. It did come out good, but I kept it. And time went on, 
And uh, let me back up a little bit. There was another fella that bought these guns. My friend bought it from him. But that other fella found this license, but my best friend ended up with the guns. So, okay. So as years went on, I ended up with both guns. So on Facebook, social media, of course, you get, you know, a lot of people looking, a lot of attention. You learn a lot of things. That's one good thing. So I posted that story of the gun and the picture, and I had a fella reach up, come out to him and say, he has that old license. That was his daddy's. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, so... He wanted the duck call. And I said, you come to my shop, bring that license, I'm going to give you a duck call. You know, because cause I had the gun. So he came over there. He bought the original license. I had it copied, blown up, laminated, and I sold a whole bunch of copies to people that wanted them. I didn't make no money. Whatever it cost me, it's just to share some heritage, you know, spread about the old gun. So the old license I have, so... And then another fella reached out to me that said, man, that looks like my great-great-grandpa's name on that hunting license. This is where the story gets better. The fella came to my house. He recognized the name. He wanted to know if he could have one of the, buy one of these old guns. So I, I talked to my best friend that had the guns, and he didn't mind if it was his great-great-grandpa. So when he came to get the gun, he bought me all the literature, the picture of the fella that had the gun, but it turned out to be his great-great-uncle. He had the, a name wrong, but this old man was born in 1889. He served a year in France in World War I. His name was Eugene Turner, and he had no wife. He didn't have no kids. Nobody would remember this man. Now I'm exposing this man through, the, through this, right. and I, I'm so happy to do that. So the boy didn't take the gun because it wasn't his great, great. He was, he was a very, very decent fellow. Very, so I have both guns, the picture of the man that had the gun and his whole background. So what I'm going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a story with the picture and put them guns in a, in, in a two-gun case and pass that down to my kids when I'm going. So that's, you know, you're talking about duck hunting. It's not all about pulling the trigger. Look what happened right here from hunting. The stories, the, the history. The stories are endless in the history. And, and that's the thing I guess I, I may love about old guns more than anything else is that they've got history to them, right? I mean, it's not a new one off the shelf, right? And, it, and it, what, what stories could they tell you if they could talk to you? It's fascinating to think about. I know that old man shot ducks. On that Lake Pearl, that's where it come from, and Grobecks. Yeah, the Grobe we talked about the Grobeck, I think, some we were down there for DU Nation with the gar fishing episode. I'm going to tell you something. Grobecks fed many families in the Great Depression. It's a yellow crown night heron is the, the name of them. They was heavily haunted for food in the, old, you know, in the Depression. Right, right. My grandpa haunted them to feed his family, and it's a very edible bird. But Mr. Eugene Turner hunted ducks and growbacks with this gun. And can you imagine if you could see now, I um, was at Beaver Dam Lake knocking them ducks down a uh, hundred something years later. He, he'd be gun. extremely proud of it, I'm <laughs> sure, man, to see those old guns still being used for what they were intended for and not sitting on a shelf somewhere, not in somebody's safe, not hanging on the wall, right? They're still in use. That's exactly right. And, and, and like, uh, you know, we shot ducks yesterday with these old guns, and two and three quarter shells, 
and still getting the job done. No, How, getting, it, is that amazing? It's incredible. And it was great to see a guy like Ramsey Russell, who's a, kind of a, we're not going to mention names, but uh, a modern day gun guy, right? I mean, he, he was a little hesitant, I think, to get out there with that old Model 12. And, the, and once he got out there and got into it, uh, man, you could see a light turn on in his eyes that he really could, he really respected and understood why those old guns have stand the test of time, man. Yeah, Ramsey got his gun, his go-to gun. That I don't, I don't know if he, when we started this, what he was getting into, but I can tell you one thing. Halfway through the hunt, he was pumping out that old Model 12 <laughs> killing ducks, and he had a big smile, and he was a happy camper just like all of us. I think he really enjoyed that. Ramsey's a good fellow. He's a personal friend of mine, and we go many places doing podcasts uh, with him on his deal, and I found him places to go in Louisiana, and uh, I'm glad he came alone. It was it was a very good hunt, and to watch his dog, it was, it was very nice. Oh, yeah, she was great. Great little little black, tiny little black female. She was like 45, 9 pounds, I think, something like that. Really great drive in that dog she was she was all about it from from the jump you and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with purina pro plan sport made for hard-working dogs of all ages every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. We talked about this in a little DU Nation segment as well about the different guns because they, they were all different. They were all Winchesters from uh, from you know many years ago, but we all had different ones between me uh, and you and Mike Boyd and Ramsey. So Ramsey had a field grade Model 12, two and three quarter inch gun, and I was shooting what was really at the time that when it came out that one of the premier duck guns, the the Winchester Model 12 Heavy Duck. Uh, that was the the first one they made with a three inch chamber that was really. They're heavy guns. I mean, they're way closer to nine pounds. Really, that really, and they swing extremely well, man. I, you know, I'd forgotten 
how well that gun shoot yesterday. And you're telling me, man, I need to use it more, and I'm going to. You know, it really is great. You had the 97, you know, which is uh, an exposed hammer gun. For people who are not familiar with it, it's got a very distinctive look to it with that hammer. You know, I mean, there's no other gun like it. Uh, and then Mike had his, one of his Winchester Model 21s, which was one of the great American double shotguns ever made. John Olin and Winchester, that was his baby. A gun that came out in the 1930s. I think Mike's gun was a was a 20 gauge from the 1950s. Uh, but just a gun that's just man, you pick it up, it's just quality. That's all you feel in that gun Beautiful in your hands. Gun. And nothing, you know. There's been a recent revival in shell manufacturing using bismuth, which is friendly to these old guns. So it's brought all these old guns back into use, you know, because the you, this ammo is friendly, just like lead was to it. Uh, so we were, you know. Using bismuth shells, old guns, wax cotton, mallards coming in, gadwall. I mean, it was it couldn't have been any better. No, that, that was the ultimate hunt. It was unbelievable. It it, it really was. And then, okay, so let's sh- shift gears a little bit because Beaver Dam Lake has been attracting ducks for <laughs> there's no telling how long. Probably hundreds of years, thousands, right? I mean, it's an old oxbow that was formed by the, the changing of the Mississippi River. And it's got elements to it that ducks really need and 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 really are attracted to by that lake. They're elements that every good duck hunting habitat has to have, Dale. And I think a lot of times they're misunderstood about what you really need, you know. So t- let's talk about that a little bit in your mind. Yeah, after all your years of hunting, especially in Louisiana, what makes a good duck hole? Well, okay. You, that's a good point. You said, look at uh, Beaver Dam. What's it about four or five foot of water? I mean, yeah, at the deepest point. Okay, there's nothing out to eat, huh? There's nothing. No, it's just water. Cypress trees. Yeah, and they kill all the ducks they want every year, and right. it's been happening. You know, they'll kill a one thousand, twelve hundred ducks out of that one blind. So there's nothing for a duck to there's eat. Nothing for a duck to eat. That's uh, right. You made a good point, and I'm going to follow up on this from my experience and my opinion. My daddy hunted a spot just kind of like that in the 50s and 60s through the 70s, and he'd killed sacks of ducks. There was nothing in there to eat. Them ducks was coming out to lay up for cover. Right. They was coming from where they ate, just, I'm sure, just like Beaver Dam. My daddy always told me, my dad was a big duck hunter, you want to hunt a hole where the ducks are going to lay up, not where they're feeding. I've seen in my life, and I'm not a biologist, but we're killing a lot of ducks, me and my boys, as we speak every year, because I fix my habitat up to where ducks want to go lay up, not eat. We have a field, and we kill mallards in that field, but you can only hunt it maybe twice a week, and you wouldn't kill no more. We have some nasty buttonwood cypress, kind of like beaver dam, kill ducks every day and every day. So this is cover they're coming to. That feel they was coming to eat, but ducks feed it. Ducks, they can feed at night and go lay up in the morning somewhere. So my, the question to that is, I'd much rather hunt a place where ducks want to go for cover versus a place they're eating. And this is my personal deal, and we kill a lot of ducks, and I'm not trying to brag on this, but I love the sunshine, I like the friendship and the blind, but I like to kill ducks. So every year with my bars, I focus on how I can fix my spot up to kill more ducks. And and we just hunting in Buttonwoods, 
they call it buck uh, buck yeah brush. more buck brush in yeah. the south here yeah buttonwood buck brush softest trees little rings in the woods and the ducks I'm killing is coming in there to set up and they'll start coming at daylight till about noon maybe one o'clock they'll sit in there all day then at dark say five after fifth five fifteen they're leaving they're going back in the fields a lot of people want to plant 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 fields a lot of people I know man there's no ducks I'm not killing ducks. I wouldn't hunt like that, but that's my opinion. So you're very right. That is exactly what makes Beaver Dam special, and always has, is that the fact that this is that's a loafing cover hiding spot and not a feeding field, feeding area. I think it's really overlooked a lot, and I think too much focus is placed on you know ducks eating, right? Because a lot of times you're very right. They feed at night. They go nocturnal on you. Okay, so if you're not going to the spots where they're going to lay up for the day, you're you're going to have you know be completely unsuccessful. Exactly, you that's know? exactly right. And uh, if I had to buy a piece of property, uh, it wouldn't be a field. It'd be an old right. slough or something. <laughs> That's what I'd be looking for. Exactly. And you could plant buttonwoods, dig it out, plant. You could work on that. But... That's why I'm killing ducks, and and we, so I we not I told my boys leave that field alone. You might kill a duck or two here and there, but we're killing limits in the in, in the nasty stuff. So don't worry about the field. Leave it alone. Let's focus while we're killing ducks and keep it clean sprayed we spray water lit. let's focus on that so that's what we've been doing and last year we did we had a good season year before last this year we're having one heck of a season now when we're not killing ducks it's not the place it's because you know louisiana weather sometimes ducks it's not good sometimes right but but most of the times we're killing ducks in these places i'm telling you about Migration of birds southward is is there's many factors involved in it, and we talked about this, and I've talked about this with several people lately. That it's been good in the South this year because of several factors that happened. We had some early weather push out of the Arctic that was cold, right? It was early in the season this year. A huge factor in central and Mississippi flyways both were the dry conditions throughout the Midwest. Those birds didn't stay up there this year. They came farther south, uh, you know, because there was no there was no water. Water and ducks, man, it's a huge deal. I mean, they one equals the other. If you don't have one, you know, you don't have the other. So, you know, they so Texas coast is the same way. They're right now they're having one of their better seasons in years because it, the, the central flyway areas of Kansas and stuff were you know places like Cheyenne Bottoms, which normally will hold be holding a hundred thousand birds, was completely dry, and so they just kept coming farther south. I think that's overlooked by people, too, is it that there's so many factors involved in migration, you know, that you can't just depend on every single year you're going to have the same amount of birds because the conditions are going to vary, you know, and you can't be overstressed that that those conditions play, they mean everything in, as far as how the birds are going to migrate and where they're going to winter and how they're going to stay there. And that's a lot of what, you know, Ducks Unlimited does on, on their projects. You know, we look at it from a standpoint, okay, what does a duck need? A duck needs cover. A duck, you know, needs a place that it feels safe, right? So a lot of what we do in our construction and engineering of wetlands um, is involves, you know, moist soil, grasses, cover areas, right, that and it's the very natural places. And I think that's the, maybe the best places to hunt ducks is natural. I, I remember years ago where we hunted, a, and a, it's a place called Red River Bay. Across the river, the Red River had sunk lake, lower sunk, sunk lake. 
it's nothing but hundreds of acres. Of, it's a shallow lake, but the, in the vicinity, it's hundreds of acres of buttonwoods. That's all it is, is a swamp. Right. I remember my friends going in there. Now, we hunted in Red River Bay, but I remember them go, they would go in the mornings with no decoys. I'm going to tell you something. And they would shoot the mileage they wanted in small, small holes. They kill all the ducks they want back in, and this. So I learned this a long time ago. You know, when a man's killing a lot of ducks in one place, you got to take note what what he's doing. Yeah. If you want to learn. Right. But my daddy had a hole. These people had this hole. Lake Pearl is what I'm telling you about. That's kind of like a beaver dam. They got rings and cypress trees. They killed all the ducks they wanted. Not in the fields. You might kill some in the field on a rainy, nasty day, but it's not going to be consistent. Right. So, right. Uh, uh, buttonwoods, ugly places. But but I think you're right. The, uh, two things happened to us in Louisiana. Now I, I pay attention to this because I'm, I'm way in Louisiana, and when them ducks get here, I mean, we had a month early big push of weather, yeah. and it's a dry up in the uh, in the in, in, in the United States. That was a big big plus. Everybody on the coast had ducks, and if you didn't have ducks, you better get another hole next year because it was <laughs> it was ducks yeah. here. So everybody's doing good in Louisiana. It's a good season, and uh, there's so many factors that play into the migration, and 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 not only the migration, but your hunting hole. You could do so much to fix it. So my big thing is hunt your cover, don't hunt the fields, and I think you do be very more successful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it just it's a it's kind of a word to the wise, right? You know, you look for those kind of places. You know, throughout my life, I've hunted, you know, ducks and geese all over the place. And I, I'd have to say that <clears throat> without exception, some of the some of the best places, and I say best, I'm just talking about consistency. That's the key thing. You can always have a great hunt here and there, you know, but it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't last. Right. right. You can really put too much pressure on birds in some areas and they'll leave them. Uh, it's, it's always been natural spots, natural lakes, natural sloughs, natural marshes. It's always been those places that ducks have been going to for, let's go, millions of years. I mean, that's what, they, that's what they've always used. And so, you know, it, I think a lot of this modern day is like, if you build it, they will come. Well, not necessarily they won't. You know, if you don't have natural spots that they want to be in, it, it, I really don't think it's going to work. You know, it, it's 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 a good point to make that you've really got to seek out, you know, either whether it's public land or or, you, or you're looking for private spots to hunt. You know, that if you don't have those natural places, it's it's going to be tough. Uh, switching gears again a little bit, we talked about this earlier. Name of your call is the Bayou Beast, the Bayou Beast Call Company. So there got to be a story there, right? I mean, what, the, why is it the Bayou Beast? Okay, where I'm hunting at right now is called Lock Call Boss. That's French. Uh, Call Boss is a gourd in French. Oh, okay. Lock is like about Lock Call Boss. You know. So anyway. My grandpa used to. I'm gonna give you the story. My grandpa, he had ran cattle there in the 1930s. My my grandpa lived in a little place called Bardlonville, and that's where my people settled. They came from France. They came to New Orleans. They settled in Bardlonville. It's in a vast part, central Louisiana. Back in the 30s, the old people raised cows and hogs in the woods, free range. And, and my grandpa would go for two or three days with his cousins to round up, you know, these cows and tag them and all that. So 
my daddy went in World War II, and when he come out the war, he wanted to hunt. And uh, he said, he actually died. said, he called him Papa. He said, Papa, there's any place you know we can hunt? And my dad said, yeah, uh, buy you Cabos, a lot Cabos. So they went there in about 1950 when they, when they built the camp, late 40s. But in 1950, they built the camp. So my daddy hunted there the same spot I'm hunting now from 1950 to 1964 with his brother, with his daddy, friends. And, and, and I knew these old people. They're all gone now, but... So my daddy got into, he had cotton jeans in the elevator. So he didn't hunt for several, for a good many years. So anyway, we hunted at this place called Red River Bay, like I told you. That was in the late 70s and 80s. These people, Bayou Cobb Boss, came up for sale in the mid-80s because it, it was a bunch of farmland around it. And, and, and these people come with the big bean boom in the early 70s from Arkansas, cleared all this land. Most of these people went broke. That land was not meant to be farmed with all the ridges and clay bottoms. So my daddy ended up, he, he bought it in 1986. So anyway, we all started hunting there, and that was 37 years ago, whatever. So when I started my little call business, I've been making calls for about 30-something years for my personal self and friends. But when I really got into it, I had a name called, I called it Call Boss Calls. But then I told my wife, you know, I know what it is because where I hunt. Now the people's not going to know that too much. Right, right. So in the meantime, we did a National Geographic came over there for a week with Brady Barr, the whole crew, and we did a segment on catching alligator snapping turtles. And we had a big turtle, and uh, Brady Barr said, boy, it's a big bayou beast. He made the comment, bayou beast. So after that, I caught an alligator that was 13 feet Two inches long. I caught some over 12, exactly where I'm duck hunting today. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? That's a, I got to call my call company, Bayou Beat, because I'm killing ducks with these duck calls or I'm yeah. catching these big alligators. So it's, it's, it's a good sticky name, Bayou Beefs. So I bought the name and, and, and I decided to go with it. And I think it's a good name. That's that's pretty cool, you know. There's always a story behind yeah. things, you know. And that's another thing about Louisiana culture, you know. The alligator is a big part of it, you know. I mean, they have been around there and have been hunted and, and provided food and, and the, their hides and everything has been a big part of, of Louisiana culture and economy there for years, you know. And like you said, just right there where you're hunting ducks, you've got the alligators too. Alligators all over. Last year and between Chris, well, yeah, and Thanksgiving, I'm sorry, in December, I had some alligators steal my ducks. In January, they stole my ducks. So I'm going to tell you something now. I've been hunting alligators 30-something years. People say alligators hibernate. They don't eat in the winter. That's not true. Yeah, I've, that's wi pretty. I've witnessed a whole lot of stuff. They'll come out on the warm days, and they will eat. And, man, it's uh, for me, being such a retriever guy, it'd be hard for me to hunt there all the time because Can of the dogs. Can't you know, hunt a dog where we yeah. at. That's it. You know, I, I just I, I'd have it. I'd have to go somewhere else still. for John, the dogs. Man. This just this year I caught three over eleven. I know it, man. Some big gators. I in didn't there. even know there was in there. All that. There yeah. Ain't no telling what else is in there. You can't see all that. Nasty That's right. Stuff. It might be a fifteen footer in there. You know, I mean that thing. An alligator that big. I mean, he's an apex predator, right? I mean, there's nothing else that it's, he doesn't have any fear or anything. No, I, I've caught an alligator. I, I, I've seen an alligator. I've caught him. 
He was 12 foot 2 inches long. He had about a 100 pound hog in his mouth. Yeah. The first time I seen him, he was swimming with it. He had ate both hams already. He let it go. We grabbed the hog. We bought it in the woods and got it out of that. Then I put some lines. I never could catch him. And then my friend dropped me off in a boat with my rifle, and I shot him. And he was he was 12 foot 2 inches. The point I'm making, you know how much fighting that is to catch a 100-pound hog oh, with them feet yeah, kicking? I, it's got to have been rough, man. But uh, That's a bad animal, that's man. That's a bad animal, man, 12-foot gator. There's no doubt about that. But uh, anyway, we're going to end this, Dale, with uh, we're talking about special hunts. Like, we just had one, you know, at Beaver Dam. You're talking about hunting with your kids. And, I mean, I'm a father as well. And some special hunts in my life have been with my son. I mean, there's just no way around it. Is there one particular hunt with uh, with your kids that stick out in your mind that you can just you can think of just right off the top of your head? Oh, man, I got I bet you I got a thousand. I know we can sit here for hours and hours. Anytime but, you know, I'm with my bars and we kill shooting a bunch of ducks and we all kill this special. And uh I, I I'm gonna tell you that this is a special hunt. I got my little bar, my die is passed on, but my little bar was twelve and my die took him and he was able to kill a duck with him at at that special. I wasn't there but he 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 won't forget that with his grandpa and my grandpa never forgot it till he died. So that's special. My other boy, he I watched him. We we all hunt together. He went on built his own little blind. He, he he's in his twenties now. He learned from me and kind of took it. And I think he's going past my. He, he's a hunter. I've watched him build his blind and he's killing ducks. Unbelievable. But it's a small one-man blunt. He knows what he's doing and the place to hunt. And and now I'm 61. I've took them when they was three years old in the blind. Killed all that first duck. We, we did everything together. Those bars are taking me now and making sure I'm all right, which I still mind the ship. I'll go get the ducks, and I, right. it, it does something to my heart. Oh, it's the truth. I, so, John, they're all, I, I can't pick one out. They're all so special. I, I had a moment like that with my son. He was 23, you know, early 20s as well, uh, last last Christmas Eve. You know, um, I, I you know I started him out taking him along on goose hunts and stuff with me when he was five years old. And so he's he's been around it his whole life, the dogs and the calls and everything. And he he guided me on that hunt, right? I mean, we had to make a big walk through all these woods uh, in this little backwater slough near Senatobia, Mississippi, on some public land that was hard to get to. So there was nobody else back there because that's what key in public land sometimes. If it's tough to get to, nobody else was there. So you know, he guided me through there, going there in the dark. I mean, he knows where to go. I have no idea. I'd have been lost. You know, I had no way I could have gotten back there. And, uh, you know, he really chose the spot and set the decoys and everything. And, and we killed ducks, and it was Christmas Eve. It was just a special moment, man, because I, the, I could see the torch, you know, had been passed, right? Exactly. I had passed on that waterfowling tradition to my son. And that's the whole key to all of this surviving in the future is that that torch has got to be passed on to these kids. So they're the next generation of, of waterfowl conservationists, hunters, people who are really going to support it. I want to I want to mention something you're talking about that my boys all blow cane my cane calls. I have a right. son helping me make cane calls when he's not working. So they all blowing cane calls and my youngest son just purchased him well a few months ago a, a 19 a 1889 1897. 
He purchased him a 1953-870 with the corn cob forearm. Oh, yeah. It's passing off. So my, my, my boy, he's 27. He done bought two old guns because he's watching his daddy having so much fun. He's blowing cane calls, and, and I'm having my homemade decoys with him. My tradition and heritage, when you're 20 years old, you don't care about that. When you get 30, 40, you start. It's going to my boys, and it's passing over. That does make my heart a lot of good, and I'm so happy to see that. Right, right. It, and it is cool to see him. Like I said, obviously, he, that's exactly where he came from. He's watching, you know, seeing you having so much enjoyment out of those old guns and the old ways, and he's really following in those footsteps. I believe so. You know, and his 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 kids will be the same way, man. Y'all, you know, will pass that on to them. And that's how this cycle, this circle keeps going, you know, that we're going to have uh, people to support wetlands and waterfowl conservation, you know, far into the future. So yeah. anyway, so Dale, thanks so much, man, for being here on the DU Podcast. Thank you all very much. I think you've got some really great points to make, and um, we really appreciate it. So I want to close it with, uh, you know, waterfowl traditions are being kept alive, you know, by by waterfowl hunters and conservationists. And, and without your support of Ducks Unlimited and wat- wetlands and waterfowl conservation, there is no future for ducks and duck hunting. So I'd just like to thank everybody for giving your support, and thanks for listening to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. 
Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.